Money FM 89.3, the best of prime time. Now, the Southeast Asian internet economy is set to hit $200 billion in total value of transactions made this year. This is three years earlier than projected. This according to a new report from Google, Tomasic Holdings and Bain & Company. Investments maintained strong momentum in the first half of this year, but investors are getting increasingly cautious. Do they have reasons to be so? Well, to find out more, Fok Wai Hong, Deputy Head, Technology and Consumer and Sound Southeast Asia at Tambasik has been invited to join us. Hi, Wai Hong. Hi, Bharati. Thanks for having me. Now, Wai Hong, the growth of the digital economy in Southeast Asia, it's increased at an unprecedented rate in the past decade. That is no secret. Talk to us about the various factors that are spurring this growth. Absolutely. So I think the Southeast Asia digital economy is on course to reach $200 billion in GMB this year. And it is three years earlier than we had originally projected. We had foreseen that happening really only in 2025, so three years ahead of schedule. And we certainly remain optimistic about it potentially reaching $1 trillion by 2030. And one of the big drivers of this has really been the pace of digital adoption. In the last three years alone, we have seen 100 million additional Internet users come online. Internet users in Southeast Asia have grown from 360 million in 2019 to about 460 million this year. The pandemic certainly had a meaningful role to play in driving a significant part of that growth, but also progress around digital enablers. If you've been following our presentations, you may recall that in previous years, we've called out the need for payments, funding, internet access, consumer trust, logistics, and talent to really come to the fore in order for the full potential of the digital economy to realize. And we've made really good progress in all of them, with talent maybe being the only one that needs to be a bit of a bottleneck. I would also just finish off by saying, you look forward you know, beyond 2022. I think in addition to new internet users coming in line, we are also expecting a deepening of engagement to help drive growth of the digital economy space. And we should see this, you know, especially in e-commerce, you know, specifically through larger basket sizes or average order values, as well as a higher frequency of purchases. Mm. I'd like to talk about talent in just a moment because you said that was a bottleneck that we should really look into. But let's face it, aside from that, there are other negative developments as well. I mean, we've seen slowdowns in some pockets of the tech sector. Companies are cutting staff in some areas. Stay-at-home stocks that did well during the pandemic are not doing so well now. So put those elements in perspective for us. Absolutely. I think the title of our report this year is through the waves, there is a sea of opportunity. And I think that that is pretty apt. You know, I think it is clear that we do have some macroeconomic headwinds. But notwithstanding that, I think it's important to remember that we still are positive on the long-term growth fundamentals of the region. And what we are seeing certainly today are rising rate environments as well as an overall macro that is perhaps a little more volatile than we've seen in the past. And these have impacted public market valuations and certainly technology stocks. This is not a Southeast Asia-specific dynamic, but one that is global. And this decline is also correlated to a slowdown in the IPO market. For example, in the U.S., IPO volumes are down by more than 90% in the first nine months of this year, which is pretty much at almost a 20-year low. And with that backdrop, as well as the current rate environment, we're seeing investors looking for companies with a path to profitability and free cash flows. Finding the right balance, calibrating cost optimization with top-line growth is what every company will need to work through. And it'll certainly push companies to be more disciplined around pricing and incentives, forcing them to prioritize strategic initiatives, be more efficient on R&D, and focus on organizational efficiency. And I think that is, quite frankly, healthy for the industry and will benefit uh, the tech sector in the long run. 
You mentioned earlier that talent is a bottleneck. What to do to solve this problem? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think it's one that all of us grapple with. I think, you know, certainly in the past, we've seen some degree of offshoring of talent. But, you know, quite frankly, it is a process of people moving through the educational system, you know, focusing on could be AI, machine learning, even development. And those are areas that I think that we need the most. You know, I think even for us at Tomasic, you know, we have in our own ways, you know, really trying to help boost talent. For example, we have through our foundation, our philanthropic arm, we've partnered with, you know, ITE to have a digital upskilling program in Thailand. And we've partnered with NTU to really build out a digital curriculum and STEM curriculum within Indonesia. So we're hoping that that helps make a difference. Now, whether a country can successfully ride the digital wave is disproportionately greater for small countries. And in some instances, it is existential as well. Where does Singapore stand against its counterparts from the region? That's a great question. And you know, I think speaking to Singapore specifically, if you look at the last year, Singapore remains the top investment destination for the region. And we believe will continue to attract investor interest. You know, deal values in Singapore nearly doubled year on year as we continue to be a fertile ground for founders with ambitions to build businesses that are regional or global. And even within Singapore, I think, you know, I'll call out two specific areas, digital financial services and health tech, which are two sectors which have received significant investor interest in Singapore. Right. And how much further can all of this go, really? Well, you know, I think going back to the original point that I made, you know, we've certainly seen the digital economy grow to 200 billion this year. Looking out to 2030, obviously there is a range of potential outcomes and we're seeing that it could be between 600 billion to a trillion. And, you know, I think some of us certainly remain cautiously optimistic that we'll hit the top end of that range. So I think it really depends on, I think, a number of key enablers. As I mentioned, we focused on really six of them historically and talent being one that I think has yet to be fully addressed. But looking forward, I would say, you know, path of profitability and having companies that are focusing once again on balancing, you know, cost optimization with pricing increases, mm-hmm. as well as slightly more challenging capital raising environment is one. ESG is certainly another. And that's, you know, I think going to be really key for us to unlock our full potential sustainably. ESG specifically, I think the search interest in sustainability in Southeast Asia has risen more than 2x over the last three years. And I think, you know, there is a real potential for us to optimize emissions across the digital economy and have it be much more efficient and lower than offline channels. I think are worth mentioning one is digital inclusion. There is a digital economy divide between urban, suburban and across income levels. Companies need to make services more affordable and accessible to all. And lastly, data infrastructure and regulation. We can improve the speed and security of connectivity in suburban areas to enable equitable access and new policies and frameworks around privacy, data sharing, and taxes to encourage interoperability and reduce fragmentation will also help. Yep, and digital trust is so important, isn't it? Things like privacy and how you use my data, all of that is certainly going to be a major talking point in the years to come. You mentioned ESG, and I do know that venture capitalists and investors look at a company's ESG credentials quite closely or their potential to actually elevate their ESG credentials. So what exactly is your advice to companies that are looking to get the attention of VCs? Well, I'll speak from an investor lens. And, you know, I think as part of our report, we ran a survey with over 30 investors in Southeast Asia to pull them on how they were thinking about ESG. 
And unsurprisingly, many investors recognize the importance of ESG. At least half of the investors we surveyed think that ESG considerations are significantly important or critically important in their investment process. Many investors, however, are still midstream in their ESG capability building, and only a few have implemented a structured framework to assess ESG factors. So I think, you know, having said that, many are adopting a pragmatic lens, and given that ESG is a relatively nascent concept for companies in the region, gaps are seen more as opportunities for investors to work hand-in-hand with companies to address, as opposed to being impediments on the deal. What exactly are VCs looking for in Southeast Asian startups? What are the factors that usually convince them to invest? Aside from ESG credentials, of course. Of course. I think, you know, the main one is whether or not companies and entrepreneurs are really going after significant pain points in large white spaces. So wanting the room to grow and addressing challenges that are meaningful, I think, is obviously a big driver. Quality of entrepreneurship, quality of the management team, and I think increasingly, certainly, the ability to build positive unit economics and move towards and develop a path to profitability are absolutely key. What are startups looking for in a VC? Because these days, each company has a lot of suitors, doesn't it? If it is one of those attractive companies with good fundamentals. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, that really depends on the company and I guess what they're looking for. But I would say on average, you know, companies that we've interacted with are typically looking for a partner. And that could be a strategic partner, someone that you know has been there, has done that, has a broader view, perhaps has a global view that can bring best practices, insights from business models that are similar perhaps from around the world and apply them to, I guess, the Southeast Asian region, whether that's, you know, across a pan-regional business or even a country-specific business. And, you know, I think, you know, we certainly look to try and see if we can add value. As I mentioned, you know, ESG is obviously a big value creation lever, but there's also strategic value creation levers as well as operational ones. All right. Thank you very much for that, Wai Hong. Really appreciate your time today. Fok Wai Hong, Deputy Head of Technology and Consumer and Southeast Asia at Tomasic. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.